You're listening to The Voice of Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. This episode's guest is someone with one of the most exciting jobs in broking at the moment. Tim Gardner is the relatively new CEO of Lockton Re and has been tasked by the Lockton Group with building up a challenger reinsurance broking operation of significant scale. The MMT JLT and now Aon Willis M&A activity has given this venture a significant timing boost and there is a palpable sense of a once-in-a-generation opportunity for independents to stake their claim on a share of this lucrative global market. I quizzed Tim on every aspect of his strategy to make Lockton Re a credible new player in the reinsurance breaking space. He was clear and forthright in all his answers, so I commend this episode to anyone looking to get an inside view of the current reinsurance intermediary landscape. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. How did you get into reinsurance, Tim? You know, it was, it was almost by accident. I was out of school in the summer, the spring of 1992, and I was walking through New York City after a job interview with an investment banking firm. And I, I knew after that interview, I didn't want to, want to go into investment banking, but I ran into somebody I'd known for a long time from growing up who was actually a guy carpenter at the time. And it was sort of a fortuitous meeting and we bumped into each other in the past station at the bottom of the World Trade Center. And he said, uh, why don't you come in and, and uh, learn something about reinsurance? And so that was that. And I started in August of 92, which uh, interestingly was three weeks before Hurricane Andrew. So the world sort of tipped on its head pretty shortly after I started, but it was a good chance to see what a hard market looks like. Take us up to how did you get to be CEO of Lockton Re? So I was 26 years uh, at MMC. 22 of those years were at Guy Carpenter on the reinsurance side, and I did a four-year stint at Marsh. So got a chance to see the big retail shop and learned a ton uh, from that. But I, but I actually was always excited and relished the opportunity to get back into the reinsurance business, which is a business that's just a little more near and dear to my heart. And I had about a year ago now, so it was, uh, it was March of 2019, I left Guy Carpenter. I was at the time, I was running North America and took on the opportunity to join Lockton. So yeah, just over a year it's been since I left. So Tim, now you've got your feet under the table. What's the vision? I'll start with sort of the specifics to Lockton piece of why we find it compelling. And then I think I, you have to gravitate towards the market as well, because I do think broker consolidation is a big part of the opportunity. But you know, Lockton, as you're probably aware, Mark, was really the last meaningful retail insurance broker without a global reinsurance presence. It doesn't mean they didn't have it. There was a London capability and we were actually pretty deep in some of our core areas. So in the professional liability space internationally, in the international casualty space, we had a lot of expertise. But generally as a broad and global reinsurance intermediary, they just hadn't built out that platform yet. So that was an incredibly compelling opportunity to think about partnering with a firm that had Lockton's brand and their reputation and their growth orientation. And all those were, were really intriguing and compelling. You add to that with the market dynamic, which was this, uh, this constant consolidation. And really on the back of, of MMC JLT, we saw 
a market need. That's obviously been doubled down with Aon Willis Towers Watson. I think that what we saw is a real tailwind before to build competing reinsurance broker capabilities. That tailwind is probably magnified dramatically as a result of the Aon. So is the strategy to go completely global and to do everything? I don't think there are areas at this stage where we would say never, but certainly, as you can appreciate, we need to phase our growth. The primary, I I almost think about the business at this stage as a, there's a buildup and a startup. London is really a buildup. We had core capabilities. We had a strong team. We had a great stable of clients. So we're really building out those capabilities with hires and, and adding resources and adding some technology and innovation and investment into that business. And then the U.S. was effectively a startup. You know, we had, uh, there were a couple of folks here for Locked and Reed, but really we were starting with a, with a relatively clean slate. And that meant building claims and accounting. That meant building actuarial cap modeling. It meant building all of the technology that we, we need to serve clients appropriately. And then obviously hiring sales and brokers. So both different trajectories, but, uh, but proceeding at pace actually in both geographies, both the build. I mean, we are... 104 people at Lock and Reed today, and we were less than 50 when I got here. So the build-out's been pretty dramatic and pretty quick. I think to your specific question, there are areas of the, of the world that we'll move more slowly into for a whole host of reasons. And there are products that we'll probably move more slowly into for reasons. But our premise is primarily been we want to build property, casualty, professional capabilities at the core on a global basis so that we can accommodate the lion's share of what clients would be asking of us. But there are a number of other things with a lot of the specialty lines we're actively pursuing, whether that's retro and DNF, it could be marine aviation, where we have some existing capabilities. Some of the specialty lines we continue to build at pace. And then others, we're going to wait and see if and when we can find the right teams. So much of what we're building is specific to culture. We are really focused on ensuring that we add people that fit within the way that we want to build the business and the way we want to serve clients. And that means very client-centric, very collaborative in our approach. We want to win as a team. We're going to approach new opportunities as a global team. And so the people that fit into that DNA for us, we're really interested in. And some of it is a function of we'll build into, into areas where we aren't currently playing when we can find the right individuals that fit that culture. So in terms of your master plan, you're saying London and US, presumably North America, roll out first. And then when might, what sort of year have you got penciled in for continental Europe and Asia? Uh, I don't know that I would peg it by year. You know, we do have capabilities within Lockton currently on the facultative side in a lot of those geographies. And that's business that had been housed within the retail business. So we do have platforms. We are supporting those platforms with some of our technology and some of our client capabilities. So we can have a more cohesive and I think consistent client standard and client service capability across the globe. We can pursue a lot of opportunities from North America and from London. So I don't know that we're necessarily hindered to a great degree to serve continental European clients as an example. Now, just the reality is there are certain clients that are, they need boots on the ground in in virtually every geography and you need the 50 office global footprint to be able to serve those client needs. We understand that those aren't the places we're going to go immediately over time, perhaps, and we'll see how far the global expansion takes us. But we've got plenty to do, quite frankly, between North America and London as a start. So therefore, is it right to assume that a typical Lockton Re client is going to be smaller and medium size sort of sedent? 
No, I don't think that that's not our approach at all. And, and, and the reason why it's not, why, why we think the globals are such an interesting opportunity for us is, is really threefold. One, they tend to have really important relationships with Lachlan, which means that the door is at least open to start a dialogue. Second, many of us, the people we've hired largely came from the big brokers. So whether it's Guy Carpenter history, Aon history, Willis Re history, and those individuals have dealt with the largest brokers and are the largest buyers in the world. So we've got relationships there individually and collectively. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, our view has always been that if you can build capabilities and technology and insights to serve the biggest buyers of reinsurance, it has a cascading impact to the value you can derive and deliver to all the other segments across the universe. So our approach has really been build for the biggest and the most demanding. We know what good looks like in that space because we've all lived there. And then that has a cascading impact to other segments as we expand. But with those, say, the top 10 buyers of insurance in the world over the last decade, they've all centralized their insurance buying often in, into one place. In order to service them, do you need to be a genuine global broker with boots all over the ground? Or are you saying that there are some specific things that you can do for them, which are really based around your smarts and your insight? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the biggest buyers are, if you can have full-fledged operations and capabilities in London and New York, you can take care of most of the largest buyers of reinsurance in the world. Where, where I think the geographic limitations that you were referring to earlier start to come to play is in places like Japan. You, you need a, a Japanese presence and you need some you need some longevity being in that market to be a credible player. And that's just not something that we're up and built for yet. So that's what, when I mean, that's, that's uh, I think about those as the constraints of some of the global expansion. The globals themselves, they, as you, as you rightly point out, they've really consolidated purchasing. And those purchase points tend to sit in one of those two big geographies. It's either New York or, or US, I should say, and, and London. I'm presuming, is it right to presume, therefore, also in your growth plan, that it's likely to be mostly organic, given the labor force is being dislocated with large M&A between the top four insurance brokers that we've mentioned? Or is there actually possibility of M&A at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, possible. I think it's probably unlikely and for a bunch of reasons. One is that the consolidation, as you're well aware, has happened long ago in our industry, right? I mean, I think we're at the point where there are too few players, not too many, which was part of the premise why we think this opportunity is so compelling. I also think that, you know, as I said before, culture is such an important element for us. So the ability to build the culture with the things that we care deeply about is so primary to our build of the business that adding another firm with that history and that backdrop is feels problematic. And then the third point, which you highlight as well, is we don't really need to. I mean, the opportunity to recruit individuals is more compelling now than it's ever been in the 26 years I've been in the business. You know, you just have so much mobility, so much fluidity around people that you can build in a very compelling way in an organic basis. And there is just a tremendous amount of, uh, of turmoil out there. And I think we're trying hard to be one of the beneficiaries of that. So you know the other side extremely well, having been an MMC guy, a kind of lifer. One of the great things about those big institutions is that ability that they've had to institutionalize some of their business so that the business is an Aon account or it's a Guy Carpenter account and no individual broker is, is able to put that in their pocket and walk out of the building with it. 
how will you, whilst perhaps you will be hiring many people from Guy Carpenter and Aon and Willis Reed in the coming years, how will you be able to pry some of that business away from those big, what will then be a big two reinsurance broking yeah. scene? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the capabilities of our largest competitors are ferocious. I mean, we, we're not naive to think that there are glaring weaknesses across their franchises because there aren't. They make deep and long investments in the capabilities. They've got great people. They've got great clients, et cetera, et cetera. But what we do know is there is a need for choice. There is a desire to have alternatives. We also have a very clear view of what good looks like. So, you know, we're not going to build a business on the basis that you hire a broker who's going to port a relationship from their current place into Lock and Re. That's just not the culture we want to create. That's not the business model we want to create. What we want to find is people that are deeply expert in their domain that think and act the way we want to act, which is collaborative, client-centric. And then we're going to invest to surround them with really compelling tools and analytical capabilities that allow us to differentiate ourselves. And our, our objective in all of this is to say to any client out in the world, all we would ask for is a chance. Then it's on us. If we can't demonstrate that we have differentiated value and if we can't demonstrate that we approach things in a more insightful manner, then, then we don't deserve any more opportunity. But we would, we would welcome that opportunity. And, and the hope is that combination of Lockton as a brand that, as I said, is a true door opener for us. The fact that we all have a lot of history in the market and a, and a lot of relationships that should hopefully give us a chance at that opportunity. And then just the, the macro force of you've got combining brokers that hopefully leads to some doors being open. You take those three factors, Mark, and are, are back to our premise that we're hoping we can find doors open to be able to get in, explain what we're building, demonstrate what we're building, and then take it from there. That's really, it sounds simple. It's obviously not that, not that easy, but that's really the foundational premise that we're working from. But it's partly sort of if you're building it and so you expect that people will come and have a look. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I go back to, we know what good looks like, right? I mean, we've been doing this long enough as a core team. We're very long tenured in the reinsurance brokerage business. So we've seen the good and the bad. And in some ways, if you just take technology and analytics as a great example, the biggest brokers are confronted with legacy systems that are incredibly hard to change. And as a result, they end up with these fairly monolithic structures that have worked for the last 25 years, but they're 25 years old. So if you can come in with a deliverable that's on a modern infrastructure and it allows you to be much more nimble, dynamic, you can use, you know, the client utility is so much better as a result of web-enabled capabilities and iPad-enabled capabilities, you know, all those things. It just makes the user experience so much more fruitful. And it's differentiating. We know it is, right? It's not one where we have to guess that this is going to work and make a difference. We've been doing it long enough. We know it's compelling. So that's just one avenue and one example of areas where we're really excited to be able to show something different. You mentioned about culture being a really important factor with, within Lockton. Given recent events, would you say what's more important? Are the staff more important than things like dividends? Oh, well, I'm, you know, I, I feel very fortunate to to have an easy answer to that one today, right? I, I, uh, I understand the alignment of the big public brokers, right? I mean, they, they have shareholders to take care of and they have to show earnings growth quarter over quarter, right? That's just the name of the game. And it makes you do certain things that just make building a business over the long term very difficult. I think about times in my old life where 
you'd be really excited about an investment initiative and be pursuing it aggressively only to find that the quarter wasn't materializing from a revenue perspective the way you hope. So you shut it down, right? And you sort of close the, sh the, the, the box and you hope that you can open it up at some later point. The gift I think that the lock-ins have given us is the ability to think about building a business over the very long term. So absent quarter to quarter reporting, absent even annual reporting, the family and the business at Lockton has always been lined up towards the very long-term value and growth of anything that they pursue. And, and they've also have a history of, they don't, they don't buy businesses, they build them. So it's a very well-worn path within Lockton globally to think about, you bring people on side, you make investments behind them, you trust them to make the decisions that they need to make to build the business the right way. You align interests and you let them go. And we found that to be the case every day in working with them. It's been such a blessing to be able to really think long-term about building the business. And you know, it has very practical implications for us because if you had different ownership that required short-term metrics to be met repeatedly, you make different decisions. You might move away from culture as one example, by hiring somebody that's got a big account. You know, if you know that individual can bring it over to you, you might be incredibly compelled to do that, even though you know that in the long term, that's probably the, not the right move for you to build a scalable business, right? It'd be one of those cultural cancers that you're going to hold your nose and take on because you needed to for revenue, but you know you don't want to, right? You know it's not the right decision. We're fortunate we don't have to make those decisions, right? And, and, and the great thing about work within the Lockton Group is uh, we've got that longer term horizon. Yeah, so a public company is sort of almost quarter on quarter every 90 days. Private equity is what, three to five years or maybe seven if you're really lucky. What's the kind of Lockton return time period? When do you have to start showing results uh, to, to the Lockton family? Well, I'll tell a, a, a funny story because uh, I do think it's illustrative of the way the Locktons think. When I, when I, in one of the first times I was with David and Ron Lockton, and I was telling them a little bit about my day to day in my prior life, and I was saying, you know, we live in a 90 day world and it's really close one quarter, open the next is the way you need to run the business. And David Lockton said, who's the, the chairman, just retired chairman of Lockton, said, you know, we think about quarters as well. And I sort of thought about that for a moment, thinking, I wonder why they think about quarters as well. And he says, we just think about quarters of centuries. And it's, it's true in their mindset. That is truly the way they think about it. this business for them is incredibly personal, right? It's family and they want to build value over a very long time. So we've got pro forma modeling, as you can imagine, and we've got long-term plans, as you can imagine, but there is not the rigidity to it that says, like a private equity discussion that, boy, you better be excised by this date or we're going to wipe the slate clean and go move on to a new team. That's just not the way they're wired. It's not the way we're incented. The objective is always build the right business the right way, and it's going to take the time it takes. And it's going to be the size that it is, and it's going to be as profitable as it is or should be. But we don't have aspirations. I mean, we are very fortunate in that we can build a business that doesn't have the margin requirements that our competitors do. We just don't. You know, it's, it's again, it's one of the beauties of, uh, of being inside a, a private company. And, and it's certainly a cultural trade that the locked-ins and a financial trade that they made long ago, which was to forego higher margins for growth and client service. That's a decision they made long ago in their core business. And it's a, uh, it's a piece that's, uh, that's cascaded to us. You mentioned before about the prowess, of course, of Lockton in retail. The trend of the last few years 
has been for reinsurance to once again coordinate much more closely with retail insurance broking. Are you going to be trying to leverage some of that muscle that uh, Lockton's got on the retail side? Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I would say it quite, quite differently than that. I mean, I don't think it's, it's not a leverage play, right? Because it doesn't really work anyway, frankly. What it is, is, is an opportunity to build a holistic relationship. And so I think what you find is there is a tremendous amount of goodwill that's been built up over many years of partnering with insurance companies in Lockton. Lockton has been sort of the growth juggernaut in our business. And, and as a result, you've got a lot of carriers that have seen tremendous growth across their relationship with Lockton. And it's led to a lot of goodwill and a lot of expansion and a lot of excitement and energy and strong relationships. So that's all very helpful, obviously, for us as we go in and say back to what I was commenting on before, we'd love an opportunity. It's not saying that, uh, that we're owed anything because we certainly don't believe that we are. We would love the chance, though, to be able to show what we can do. And the, there's a mutuality of the relationship that goes both ways between Locked and Retail and Locked and Re. For example, a lot of the technology innovation and analytics we're building in the reinsurance business, we are porting over to the retail side. So Claude Yoder, as an example, was uh, he ran analytics for Marsh for a number of years, for five or six years. He's now in our platform. So he's got great insight into what it takes to build good retail analytics and what interesting platforms might look like. And so there's a lot of interaction that happens there. So, so we can uh, deliver things to them. They've obviously been very supportive of us. And I, I, as, as respect client interaction, we can be very helpful to clients as they are looking for insight into Lockton as a retail business. So if a client is looking for ways to grow, we can give insight in terms of where the relationships reside, where Lockton is making primary investments for growth and how a carrier might align to that, where we're seeing particularly strong numbers and growth opportunities across the Lockton platform. Carriers can get insight into that. So there's a lot of organizational connection that can happen that has nothing to do with leverage or tying. It's just, uh, it's just insight, right? And it's just an opportunity to communicate better. And our hope is through the role and the, and the relationships that we have with the insurance companies, we can be that buffer at times and we can be that conduit into better understanding Lockton and the retail business. And would you ever want to use that Lockton retail network? It's, it's, it's formidable. Would you want to be bringing, acting perhaps like a wholesaler, creating wholesale level products and then distributing them out to the retail network. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's probably a top, another topic we could dive into on another, on another session, but yeah, I, I think the business was certainly trending more towards facilitization. And I, and I don't mean that in the sense of some of the facilities that had been created, which were really only serving the brokers, right? There were sort of commission enhancement plays. I don't, I don't mean it in that sense. I mean, there are homogenous products. There are homogenous segments that do serve towards trying to get more focused in the distribution. And you don't necessarily need to take some of those more homogenous products and, and, uh, and market them to 25 markets, right? That can be a uh, a one to two or a one to three type approach where you build a panel, but you do it where everybody wins. The client wins because they get efficiency. The broker wins because they get efficiency and maybe some 
additional commission, but only because they've created a process that uh, that's more streamlined. And the carriers gain a lot as well because you know they're not having to compete for every single placement. They're on a panel where they're going to see a much bigger pipe of revenue opportunity being pointed at them. So I do think that's a trend that has certainly started in the industry. I think it will continue. You know, we've got more immediate problems to sort of tackle at the moment, but, but I, I do think that's going to happen. And I think that surfaces, Mark, a lot with, or, or one of the requirements around that is the analytics, right? Is the opportunity to understand the portfolio characteristics, to understand the profitability, to understand the volatility. And so that's a nice combination of, I think, retail capabilities and reinsurance capabilities. And we certainly have every expectation that we're going to, to have that dialogue with our Lockton colleagues to see if there are an opportunities to, to, to build things like that together. Well, Tim, you mentioned about the present and the present is a time of COVID-19. And obviously we both are we're on a web call in our, uh, I see you're in your man cave, I'm in a spare bedroom. How are your customers reacting to COVID-19? And what sort of advice are you giving them at this difficult time? Yeah, I mean, I think the reaction varies quite a bit, you know, depending upon their involvement, depending upon their size, their scope, their scale, right? It, it's, uh, it's a pretty varied response. I, I think like the, the, rea- the, the, the conversations that we've had with all though, is as you enter difficult markets, which this inevitably will become and, and frankly already is, you know, I, I think it's very, very important that you have the right partners. And the right partners are ones that have some tenure. So they've sort of seen it before, right? I think, I think you need level-headedness to be able to think about the right approach. And I think you need the right tools and capabilities to be able to navigate a lot of what's ahead of us because it's going to get bumpy. There's no question. Certain lines of business are, are already constrained and I think are going to get more constrained. But, you know, I always personally like those opportunities as a reinsurance broker because I think it gives you an opportunity to differentiate yourself, right? When anything can get done and when the market is incredibly soft and you sort of pick a price and, and, uh, and push it into the market and, and leverage and will gets it completed, that's not the market we're in right now. This is one where I think you need to be more thoughtful. I think you be, need to be better prepared. I think you need to be be more in touch with truly the needs of your client and then the appetites of the market. So, so I think all those, uh, those maybe softer items in a soft market become real priorities in the hard market. And, and we're excited by the, the people that we brought on board that bring you know, all of those capabilities. We're not an old business in the sense of locked and re, but we're a very old business in terms of we've got people that have decades of experience and have navigated difficult markets before. Well, great, Tim. I've come to the end of the list of my questions. I was just wondering if there's something you'd like to discuss that we haven't discussed yet. No, I I don't think so. Thanks for for doing this. I I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks very much. I wish you all the best. Thanks so much. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.